Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Arganissima, New York. First of all, always a pleasure to have you. And uh, I was looking forward to this. And we do have quite a few questions in in uh, in track. I have a whole bunch of them, and I don't think we're going to get through all of them today. That's fine. That's <laughs> and, fine. And I hope that we get some uh, calls as well. So let's see what happens. Um, so we've been promoting this. Uh, we're all over. We're live right now. So we'll, we'll see. And again, I'm glad that you're doing good. I know things are a little crazy out there, but you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> we That's just, right. the world is a uh, crazy world that, you know, we, we use the word crazy you and I on this show. It kind of like, <laughs> it's a little ironic, but <laughs> 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 you know, this is like what people don't want to talk to psychologists, and psychiatrists, crazy i don't want to be crazy but yeah unfortunately <laughs> i think it's appropriate for this particular scenario we live in in today's world but hey oh man well i guess we'll get right to it okay if we get right to it hurricane that's fine with me all right so the first question um uh, it's a pretty long one i'm gonna read it so Many of the antidepressants medications warn of side effects of suicidal thoughts, as well as many other considerable and damaging side effects. When a yeah. person has um, when a person has experienced an unusually bad situation, such as death of loved one, uh, workplace bullying, domestic violence, stalking, extreme demands. Uh, family work or any other unusual difficult situation and there is a very clear reason to why a person is experiencing sudden temporary intense sadness and upset is it appropriate to prescribe antidepressants uh, many people who are experiencing extremely difficult episode to the extent of having difficulties coping would also be in a situation of temporarily not thinking clearly is it appropriate to prescribe uh mind-altering drugs in such situation or are there alternatives okay it's a long one <laughs> okay it's a long one but it's a wonderful question hurricane because it gets down to a lot of what mental illness is what it isn't and how our antidepressant works so there are actually three questions in the question that you just um pointed out to me uh the first one has to do with these side effects that antidepressants have uh, the second question has to do with, look, things like grief or bullying at work, does mm. that take uh, antidepressants, right? And then the third question is actually, are there any alternatives to antidepressants? So I'm going to go through each one of those. So firstly, um, some of the side effects of antidepressants, strangely enough, include uh, suicide ideation and, in a sense, more depression, now, that's a bit controversial. And so when these studies first came out, 
the question was, well, what is actually happening is you're getting a group of people who are suicidal. So if you're going to give a, a certain group of people antidepressants, they're the ones that are going to commit suicide because we are finding them. It's like saying uh, one of the side effects of a heart medication is a heart attack because you've got the group of people who are going to have heart attacks, right? right? But there's something else very subtle going on. When somebody is depressed, they can be so depressed that they couldn't even be bothered to get the energy to kill themselves, right? And this is very real. And so what happens is when somebody takes an antidepressant and first of all, their energy level and their motivation increases and their motivation increases while their suicidal thinking is still there, then they're actually more at risk of doing something about it. Okay. So the way past all of that is when you start somebody on an antidepressant, you monitor their mental state. You make sure that there is somebody that they can talk to so that it all heads in the right direction. Because we've got wonderful studies that tell us that the more that we use antidepressants, the less likely people are going to actually kill themselves. So that's in big population studies, more use of antidepressants, suicide levels actually go down, right? Now I have to say, that that's in a society that's under a lot of pressure hurricane because our suicide rates are up and our antidepressant rate is up. Now that does not mean that taking antidepressants leads to suicide. What it means is that there is so much pressure in today's society. Mental health is such an issue that even the antidepressants that we use are not enough to keep on top of it all. There's something else that we need to be doing. So that's the first part of the question. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's pretty intense, and 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 really the correlation between the antidepressant and the suicide and and like it's 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 crazy in in the sense, but 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 you're right. This world we live in, right? As we were just joking earlier, it does you know put too much pressure across the board, whether through society, through the job, through family, and and people tend to really give in to it, to whatever that pressure. And ultimately, that leads to bad mental state and, and everything else that can happen with it. So yeah. you're right, antidepressants will be great as maybe a solution, you know, but, but there is more to do this at the core of it, I think, because that's more like fixing, right? Or patching. Yes. But yes. it's not really dealing with the source of the problem. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's right. That, that's right. And, and here we go to a difference in approach that we have, let's say, in places like uh, the USA and in Australia, and the approach that psychiatrists in uh, uh, continental Europe have, mm. right? So uh, in the USA and in Australia, we tend to look at alleviating symptoms. So as long as people are feeling better, then that's a win. Whereas in uh, mainland Europe, people tend to look at the core issues more. Why is somebody depressed? What is underlying this person's depression? And so you will find uh, a bit more psychotherapy being done and uh, a way of looking uh, at the uh, core problem to see if we can actually solve the core problem. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, one is actually more of a quick fix, right? And secondly, it relies on people's resources to get on with life themselves. 
in Europe, the system that, that, that I tend to use a lot more, getting to the, uh, the core of what the problem is, the advantage is that the person grows as a human being a lot more. The disadvantage is that people can become very introspective and spend time on themselves rather than contributing to society. That's the way I look at it. But I want to go to the second part of that question, okay? All yours. We got a lot, a lot of things to cover right now. <laughs> go for All right. it. <laughs> so the second part of the question is, should we even be treating things like bullying at work, grief reactions uh, with antidepressants? Mm. And uh, in this situation, uh, first of all, we can talk about what life was like uh, without antidepressants. So uh, before 50 years ago, when we didn't have antidepressants, we had to cope with grief. We had to cope with bullying. We had to cope with conflict in a different way rather than antidepressants. So that means that there are alternatives. Does that mean that we shouldn't use antidepressants? Now, rather than have a rule, you shouldn't use antidepressants here, it depends on each individual case. Some people in their grief, in their grief of the loss of a loved one, go so low that people are very worried about them. And so sometimes in that situation, it's warranted to use an antidepressant. As a general rule, however, the human spirit is resilient. We can actually cope with grief. We can cope with workplace bullying. If there is somebody that uh, was, is there to help us get through the situation, listen, do a bit of problem solving. So I wouldn't automatically start on an antidepressant. But here's our modern world, Hurricane. We have these things called antidepressants. We spent decades uh, formulating them. They're pretty damn good. And we all are looking for a quick way of getting back on track. And so it's very tempting to use an antidepressant. And as a psychiatrist, I tend to hold back on antidepressants for people who are going through normal life issues because you feel more empowered if you get over grief, if you get over workplace bullying or interpersonal conflict, you feel like you're more resilient as a person. All right, that's part two. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna just say, well, so, so really, I mean, there is a way. I mean, when people have intervention and, yeah. and, and assistance or help in at least, you know, discovering the issue and, and talking yeah. about it and maybe some, some moral support uh, at any stage, I mean, you can prevent, you know, to your point, I mean, it's not necessarily needed to have the antidepressants and uh, go into that extreme, but there are cases where you do need to that to calm folks and, and just get them really like under control before you can treat. Uh, so, so again, it, every situation will be different, but you're right. I mean, personal conflict, that's one thing. Bullying, it's very common. <laughs> Workplace yeah. or otherwise, yeah. even these yeah. days, even in the streets, you go to store and there's bullying. So <laughs> you yeah. don't know where to go, right? Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. And you're right. I mean, antidepressants have been around and um, they're pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're pretty cool in, in the good market and the bad market. <laughs> Everybody wants one of those, right? So whichever means plus <laughs> potential means that they can get through that, right? But, yeah. but you know, hopefully we don't have to, to, to do anything uh, with them unless we have uh, no choice. And obviously uh, someone would prescribe them with control, I guess. And, well, yeah. Uh, so so let's, let's look at what antidepressants do in the brain. They basically raise serotonin levels, which leads to a feeling of calm mm. and a bit of what we call um, happiness, all right? Just a little bit of that. But there are a lot of things that raise serotonin levels. 
So I'll give you two clinical examples. And I've, I've been in both of these clinical examples. Let's take a 70-year-old male who has just lost his wife of 50 years. Now, if that 70-year-old male is living with a household where there is children and grandchildren, and he comes from a big family where, you know what, they sit down for a Sunday meal or a Friday meal or whatever, they get together and they laugh, that person is most likely not going to end up on an antidepressant. But if you take the same 70-year-old person who's lost his partner of 50 years and he's living alone, he doesn't know his neighbor, right? Uh, he doesn't even have a dog, right? I would put that person on an antidepressant because the, the grief situation that he is in is just at a heightened risk. He's mm. got a lot more than just the, risk, uh, the grief going on. So it comes down to these individual factors and what's happening in the brain. When you're with family and grandchildren, they just naturally raise serotonin levels in your head. So uh, perhaps that person doesn't need the antidepressant, whereas the other person perhaps does. Well, we talked about that in the last show, which is, you know, being with people, social, it makes a big difference than, than being solo and, and just, you know, in, 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 sol in solitary mode. <laughs> it's oh, not look, a good thing. Totally, totally. It makes a big difference to the brain because it increases all those feel-good chemicals. Uh, and, and that's one of my big messages. You'll hear it a lot, you know, that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and beta endorphins are increased when you're around people. And those chemicals make us feel good. And that's why being around people that you love feels so good. Well, listen, listeners, viewers, you know what to do. Surround yourself with love, loved ones and, and, and love others and, and just be uh, as social as you can get. Yeah. Uh, we don't mean on social media only, in person, right? <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, all right, so I guess we'll go to that third part of that, that, that question. Okay, so, so the third part of the question is, are there any alternatives to antidepressants? And basically, anything that will raise your serotonin is an alternative. And yes, we've just talked about one of them, people, right? Uh, but walking in sunshine, uh, going along a beach, doing things that you enjoy, finding routine in your life, laughing with people, uh, listening to some of your favorite music, all of these things release beta endorphin and serotonin and they are good for you. Reflecting on, let's say we take the example of grief, what the whole relationship meant to you, what it meant in your life. Yes, there is a sadness of what you lost, but there's this beautiful feeling of, my gosh, I spent 50 years with one human being. That is an amazing experience, and that experience cannot be taken away from you, right? So in workplace bullying, okay, that, that, that sounds a, it's a bit harder. The alternative there is mediation talking to somebody, finding a way through, and, and not always uh, in an adversarial sense, but in a sense of getting together and can we find some way through that? And I know that that sounds a bit idealistic, but again, the brain feels really good when you make a connection with people. And there we're talking about trust and oxytocin. If you can actually work something out with somebody at work, it's great for the brain. <laughs> We can. I think people have that opportunity. They just have to explore it. But I think understanding the dynamics is key. And yeah. hopefully the message is, is out there. And, and I know you do this for a living and you share with a lot of people and through these podcasts and, and, and talk shows. I mean, I think that's also important. But really, you're right. I mean, but you did mention something unique twice about 
a relationship for 50 years. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted just to, to, to go over that point specifically for a oh, minute yeah. before we go to the next question. Okay. You know, I think that's a lost thing. Today's, you know, relationship don't last long, unfortunately. I'm talking about marital status and all the stuff. I mean, people, yeah. they're, they're just like fly-by-night, you know, relationships. There's no, like you, you talk to the senior, you know, community and, and how long have you been married for? Like 60 years, 50 years. I mean, they, they lasted that long and they literally, you, I've seen even posts where people are like dying together. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but, but but today we don't see much of that there's so much like just me myself and i and you know i don't care and there's no commitment i mean it's it's definitely a whole different issue to discuss but just the the you've been referring to that 50 mark and, and i know that that is almost i mean now family kids maybe even kids now you know they grow up quickly and they leave uh, you know you leave the home and there's there's less you know there's so much disconnect in the in the family and i think those are all uh problematic uh and they they do lead to to a lot of things and certainly that don't help in in getting your uh, uh senses and everything you know exciting here so so again uh i think society has to do with it uh and and the way it's been promoted like it's a cool thing i mean you don't have to be married you don't have to to stay with someone long i mean obviously if there's a bad relationship and i have a question about that in a minute but but it's it's, it's just amazing how how we don't think about those things until they reflect like in this case, you just put it in front of us. And I'm like, in my mind, like, whoa, there is a connection. And, and, and you see those people happy. I mean, uh, yes, it's amazing. Yes, yes it, it is amazing. Uh, and there are a few things about that. When all the divorce laws came into being uh, around the 70s, uh, we, we forget that there were a lot of uh, unhappy marriages. There were a lot of people being subjugated into loveless marriages. And uh, what the divorce laws did was give an opportunity to dissolve those marriages. Now, the good way of looking at that is uh, the marriages that last these days are marriages where people want to stay together because divorce is really quite easy. So if people are in a relationship, you can almost be guaranteed that they're in a happy relationship. There are some side effects, however, right, that uh, the norm of society has now changed. And it's only taken a few generations for it to become usual in society to be in different sort of relationships, right? Uh, and look, in itself, what happens is society gets used to a new normal. And while accepting things is very good, we also pay a price when we let go of some of the underlying structure of, uh, of society. Now, one thing you said that, that kids are growing up faster and they're leaving home faster, just need to say that that's not actually the case because there are a few things about the human life cycle that just doesn't change. It's always taken about 15 to 20 years of parenting before you've got yourself an adult. It's going to take around that time and it still does. Um, having a baby is going to be a lot of work. It always has been. It still is. Uh, and having grandchildren or parents, we still have them. The thing is that uh, they're perhaps spread out a little bit more and we may need to make a bit more effort to get together because we don't all live under the same roof or we don't live in the same village, village, but we still have all these people. And so I encourage people that even if they haven't seen their sister or their brother for months and months to sort of say, hey, that person's still your sister. That person's still your brother. Why not phone them? 
why not go over social media? Why not arrange a trip to get together with them? We can still do all of that. So there are a few things in humanity that do stay the same hurricane, you know? Well, just, just an example. I mean, I, I did something similar. You know, I mean, I, I live in the States. Most of my family is overseas. And I, just, just to your point, I mean, we do call every now and then. But what I did, I created a family group. <laughs> I mean, literally on WhatsApp and also one on Facebook. So now we share, you know, uh, you know, videos and, and live stuff and have discussions. I mean, it's as remote as it gets, but, but at least, you know, you're in contact with people and you feel part of the family. So, uh, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of people have similar situations that they can use that same if they haven't yet, but, you know, great oh, yeah, advice. Yeah. yeah if, if you want to think about it in scientific terms, the question is whose genes do I share? All right. When, when you look for people who have the same sort of genetic makeup as you, you naturally feel what's called a gene-based altruism or kin-based altruism with them. You just get together uh, with a cousin and you just feel at home for some reason. They're not quite a stranger to you. And uh, I'd encourage people to get out there and enjoy that. Well, listen, so will I, I, I do and I will. And I guess people are watching right now live, you know, hey, you know what to do. Make it work, make it happen. Yeah. All right. So, so I, I think we're ready to move to the second question. All right, that was only 20 minutes on one question. That's, that's, that's <laughs> well, it was it was three and one, so we'll take it. Right? <laughs> so we'll make this number four. <laughs> okay. All right. So so um, I'm struggling a bit with trying to quit drinking. Do you yeah. have any tips? I, I think that's a very common situation these days with a lot of folks out there. So uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Any tips? Yes. Yes. There is one overwhelming tip to get rid of any addiction in your life, to get rid of a bad habit. Uh, the idea is not to focus on stopping the bad habit, but starting something else that's more important to you, hmm. right? So if, if you're a guy who smokes and you've got this new girlfriend who hates the smell of cigarettes, okay, you're going to give up pretty, pretty quickly, all right? Because the incentive is there. So as long as you find something that is more important to you than the alcohol, it becomes easier to let go of the alcohol. So to find something that you always wanted to do when you were a young child, um, perhaps play an instrument, play a sport, get to learn something, visit people, what, what, whatever it happens to be, you've got to love something more than the alcohol. And, and then, yeah, there, there are some practical things. If it's not in the house, you won't drink it. So that's the best port of call. Don't let it in the house. And also find substitutes. Yep. Doctor, I think we have a call. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Hello. Uh, thank you for calling uh, out the radio. Who is this? This is John. Oh, hi. I, I can hardly hear you. Sorry. Um. Uh, not really. Doctor, can you hear him? I can't hear him at all. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry, call him. <laughs> so we can't, we can't really, we have a bad connection here. I apologize. Um, sure. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, let me see something here. Uh, I think that's better. 
Hello, John. Hello. Yeah, we can hear you. Can you that, not? Can you better? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. All right. You're live. You're live, John. So, so thank you for calling. What's your question? So I was wondering uh, if the doctor can uh, describe uh, hypnosis and how does it work uh, exactly? I'm kind of a, uh, a skeptic on that. Okay. <laughs> okay, a skeptic on hypnosis. Okay. Uh, thanks very much for the question, John. Uh, so hypnosis does sometimes get used therapeutically. Uh, the way hypnosis works is the knowledge of brain waves. So as I'm speaking here to you, John, and to Hurricane, uh, I'm in what's called beta brainwaves. So that's brainwaves that are going at about 14 to 20, 22 cycles per second. Now, as we go to sleep, we go through what's called alpha waves, which is less than 14 cycles per second. And then we go into delta and theta waves, which get down to like three cycles per second. So the brain kind of settles down as it goes to sleep. What hypnosis does is it takes your brain waves from beta waves into alpha waves. And uh, alpha waves have been uh, called a super learning state. And this is the illustration that I use. I know five-year-olds that can, uh, that can uh, speak four different languages. Now, if you learn a language at age 20 or older, you will find out it's really very difficult. So how is it that a four-year-old can learn four languages, keep them entirely separate and be fluent, whereas as an adult, to learn a language is so difficult? And one of the answers has to do with the brain waves. Adult brain waves are made for critical reasoning. Critical reasoning says, I won't let this information inside my head. And we need that as adults. But children have got adults to guide them, so they don't need to be critical. So they had this super learning state in alpha waves where they can learn things very, very quickly. So what hypnosis right. can do is put you in a situation where you can learn really quickly and be very suggestible. Does that mean anything to you, John? Yeah. So does that mean like you, um, you're actually sleeping when you're under hypnosis, like, like as if you were just sleeping in bed? Uh, the, uh, the way to look at it is it's more like that state that you're in just before you go to sleep. You're still conscious, but you're sort of uh, in a very relaxed state. And in this relaxed state, it's like the subconscious part of your mind uh, what we call the default mode network is more open to hearing what comes from the natural world. Okay. So the idea of suggestions in hypnosis uh, tend to, in a way, they stick deeper in your mind than uh, when we're talking just one-on-one -on -one like this. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now I've got to counter that John. Okay. Because just before you think that hypnosis is the be all and end all, uh, what the father of psychotherapy did, and I'm talking about Sigmund Freud, is before him, a lot of people were using hypnosis to, to get to the unconscious. And what he found was, you know what, I can just talk to somebody and I can get the same results. So the thing is that hypnosis has remained controversial because uh, there are some places where it works and some places where you don't need it and you're never under anybody else's control. But the way that I see it is it puts you in a relaxed state in slower brain waves 
so that you accept incoming material more easily. That's the best way I can describe it, John. Wow. <laughs> so, so you can, but can you control people when they're under hypnosis? Uh, strictly speaking, you cannot control people while they're under hypnosis. Now, uh, you may have seen some uh, uh, stage performers who use hypnosis, uh, and they can be really funny shows. And what happens is people will voluntarily go up on stage and put themselves in a situation where they're part of a performance, and they like right. doing this. And, and what the hypno hypnotist always does is find some way to see who's a good hypnotic subject and who isn't. And they can decide that very quickly. So it's just like asking, who wants to come up here for a bit of a laugh and be part of a show? And if you're the sort right, of person right. who says, yeah, I, I can do that, then you're in for a good show. By the way, I'm sorry, guys, I just wanted to interject. But I, I, experienced, I experienced that myself a couple of times on, on a ship, on a cruise. Uh, it's oh, very yeah, common. Yeah. They have them lined up and, uh, you know, and you're right. They select some people versus others. And those that actually are literally that they subject themselves and they allow themselves to get, you know, under uh, hypnosis, they really get very funny and, and their talent comes out. I mean, I never volunteer for that because I don't know what's going to come out of me. <laughs> but, but, but I did try it, actually. I, I, I was a skeptic, too. And um, on one of those ships one time, they had a secondary show and where the actual performer wanted people to, to be sitting and, you know, basically to see what they feel. And I, I, I literally took the time and, and I um, literally I counted the, 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 the time frame that I was under when when I thought we were starting and the time we finished, I thought it was about a couple of minutes. I realized it was a half hour. So wow. it, it literally in half it, half hour went by. It felt like it was two minutes. And I felt everything. I heard everything. I was conscious to a degree, but I wasn't. You know, it's like you're there, but you're not there. As you said, you're like in that relaxed mode. And it's real. I mean, I tested it. I can give you, I mean, I can give you my step on it as, as just personal experience, but I was literally a skeptic. So, uh, you know, John, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are, uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know, doctor, do you do hypnosis yourself or no? I don't use hypnosis as part of my okay. therapy. No. So, so I will definitely find, I, I might have to do that as an idea and bring someone to give me a hypnosis live, but I don't know what happens. No, <laughs> I won't guarantee it. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll try it on air. Thank you so much, doctor. I appreciate it. Thank okay, you, thank thanks, you. John. All the best, thank mate. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank Great you show, bye. Hurricane. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was fun. That was fun. I, I love it. I mean, you, you broke it down to, like, you know, uh, frequencies, which is something <laughs> I wouldn't even have put one-on-one -on -one together on that one. So, so that is important well, to understand. Yeah, there, there's always some theory behind everything. But uh, on the other hand, I have to say, we don't understand consciousness. We don't know what the conscious mind actually is. Uh, we have some ideas about it, and we know that something like a subconscious mind exists, but the relationship between the two, we haven't figured all that out yet. We don't know how general anesthetics work to get you unconscious so that you can have a, an operation, but because we all experience it, we know that it's there, and we know that something real is happening. So I, I suppose I'll let people know what we do know because we don't know what we don't know. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, because to, to, to your point, I mean, you use what you have and, you know, we know it works to a degree and it's used and that, and, and we still are learning, I think. I mean, 
oh yeah, science is is not even where it needs to be. And I'm sure over the decades and time we will tell and we will know more about all these things that today we don't know. A, a century ago, we didn't know much that we know today. And, you know, and I think everything is moving fast in terms of knowledge and, and, and uh, innovation and progress. So uh, it, it is hurricane, but as far as the brain and consciousness is concerned, mm -hmm. we really are at the tip of the iceberg. And we like talking about all the things that we know, but there is just nine tenths of an iceberg underneath there that we still don't have an idea about. We do not know how the brain is put together or how it works. And, and, and it's amazing because uh, it, it runs everything. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's right. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? I mean, really, that's, that's, uh, that's well, again, I want to uh, go back to that question about the addiction. Sure. Uh, and, and you were kind of explaining, like, there is a way to, to get rid of it, not so much by removing it, but, but finding something different. Yeah, yeah. And so one way of uh, encapsulating that is in something that Friedrich Nietzsche said, uh, give me the why and I will find the how. So if you need to give up alcohol, ask yourself why. Why am I doing this? Because I want to be healthy, because I want to have better relationships, because I want to live longer. Uh, whatever the answer is for you, make that the central purpose. Aha, that's what I want. And I want that more than I want alcohol. Now I'll find a way to be able to do it. You know, it's funny, doctor, that you said that because um, I had, again, I'm sharing experiences and, and something similar, not, not with, 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 I guess, alcohol or any addiction, but yeah. uh, it was with tobacco and cigarettes. Yeah. So a friend of mine was applying for a job, but the company requested or had a requirement that you could not possibly get a job unless you quit smoking. Yes. yes. <laughs> so yes. You, you, you have to be a non-smoker to be able to get the job. Yes. He made the effort and he stopped smoking. Literally 45 days later, he was hired. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So, so there was enough motivation to him, uh, you know, which is, you know, financial gain and, and stability and all that and an opportunity. And that was good enough to, to get him to quit. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't know about the difference between cigarettes and, and tobacco versus like, you know, alcohol, but yeah. at the end of the day, you said it, it's all addiction. So, well, that's right. And a lot of surgeons, for example, uh, will tell people that they're not allowed to smoke, otherwise you won't get the operation. So, so a guy mm -hmm. goes to a surgeon who needs a lung operation and the surgeon asks, are you a smoker? And the guy says, yeah, I smoke 20 cigarettes a day. And the surgeon says, no, you're a non-smoker. And he says, you're not listening to me, doc. I, I, I smoke 20 cigarettes a day. And the surgeon says, if you want this operation, you're a non-smoker. And because the operation was there to help save his life, he said, you're right, Doc, I'm a non-smoker. And it's because he wanted something more than the cigarettes, and that was to stay alive. Yeah. I think that's important. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, listen, I mean, that, there's no better motivation than that. And, but, but you're right. <laughs> I think, you know, you, you, it's, it's, a, it's a great point for people listening and watching. I mean, it's, just think about it. I mean, it's when you're addicted to something, you find another addiction, hopefully a better one. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not saying get addicted to something else, but like find a, a target, a goal of something that's going to change, I guess. That's my understanding yeah. of the concept. So no, no, no. But that understanding is, is actually is actually very real, uh, Hurricane. What you're saying, uh, and it brings up something else because uh, when somebody is addicted to something like alcohol or cigarettes, then what they find is if they give that up, then it's like the mind is looking for another addiction. Uh, mm. Give me some some weed. Give me some porn. Give me something else. All right. So the question is, how do I get out of this uh, this mire of addiction altogether? 
And the answer is that you need to find something worthwhile that requires more effort. Uh, the things that are addictive are instant gratification. It takes no effort and you get a lot of pleasure quickly. Now, when you find things that are worthwhile, but they take effort beforehand, and I'm going to use the example of becoming uh, a mountain climber, that takes a lot of effort. You've got to spend months making yourself fit. You've got to get all your equipment. And then when you finally get to the Andes Mountains and you stand on top of that mountain and you say, this is what I wanted. I wanted to be on top of the world and to look out over a mountain range. That takes a lot of effort, but you see, it's so much more worthwhile. That, that becomes a life-changing experience that is exhilarating and it far eclipses any time of having drunk too much alcohol or sitting there smoking a lot of cigarettes, but it takes the effort and you grow as a person. And that's the biggest pleasure. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, you know, case case uh, is is really you know a close case here. <laughs> you, anyone <laughs> anyone watching and listening? I mean, it's a simple formula, and I, I think there is a way. I think everybody can find a way to to really uh, mitigate this quickly and finding an alternative, hopefully a better alternative, not not something worse, uh, where yeah. it gets the worst you know addiction. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that's right. And and uh, worthwhile things in life all take effort. If it's uh, playing a musical instrument, a sport being in a good relationship, uh, getting a university degree, anything, making money, it takes effort. You've got to put the, the effort in first, okay? Yeah, you got to put in the time and the energy and the money. That's it, and the yeah. belief. That's right. All right. Well, I got I got an interesting question. Um, are we good with that one? Well, we're good with that one, yep. All right. So um, question says, I have a friend who is never happy for anyone and with anything, uh, if funding wrong in every situation, Loves to belittle people and gossip, never compliments on any accomplishments or congratulates for anything. Furthermore, she criticizes, she, okay, everybody and no one is at her level. What is her problem? <laughs> is she a narcissist or does she have superiority, a superiority syndrome? Um, Anna from Long Island. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but an interesting okay. question. Yeah, an interesting question. Okay, so, so the question is actually, uh, wh why are people crabby? Why, why are people unhappy, right? I mean, the, the bottom line- to Haters. The question, <laughs> well, the bottom line to the question, what is her problem? I actually don't know. But what I do know this, there is a problem underlying who she is. There may be something in her life that is unresolved. There may be something that happened that she is really resentful about that she doesn't talk about. Maybe she has a medical condition that is just really difficult and uh, if, if you think that somebody is just crabby, they're not. There's always a reason, but we don't know. We do not know the suffering that somebody else has gone through. Uh, even what we call narcissistic personality disorder, we like to think, oh, these are just selfish people. But because I've worked with a lot of people who have narcissistic personality disorder, there is always something. There was a childhood experience that led to that. So there was always suffering. The only difficulty is uh, people like this can make life difficult for the people around them. So the question then becomes, well, how do I handle these sort of people? If, as this person seems to have done, you choose to still have this person as a friend, and that is wonderful. Everybody deserves friendship. Everybody deserves to be part of the human race. Uh, just have a little idea that I don't understand all that's going on here, but this person deserves my friendship too.
right? And as long as it doesn't affect who you are, the idea is for your light to shine into their life so that they go, you know, I may have a crap life, but I've got one good friend. And that makes an enormous difference to somebody's life. That's beautiful, doctor, because I, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, most of us, like, oh, maybe this is not a time to have a, a type of friend that's going to be always criticizing. But you're right. I mean, you got to go beyond that. I mean, most of the people will be like, OK, why do I need a friend that's that's never supportive? I mean, it's almost the opposite. You're asking for this particular for Anna to support her friend. But then that particular Anna doesn't feel that her friend supports her. I think that's no, the no, contrast. No. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's challenging. Story. Yeah, it is challenging because there's room in a friendship to say, hey, you know, uh, you seem to be putting me down all the time. You're criticizing people all the time. Lighten up a bit. I, I just want to enjoy time with you. You know, there, uh, every friendship can say things like that. There's room for that because uh, the thing about uh, friendship is that you both want to grow as people. You want to feel better for the friendship. So you want to make each other just a little bit better. And sometimes things have to be said. That's what friendship's for as well, you know. Well, thank you. Well, again, one thing that comes to mind here is that, you know, uh, we hear this word by haters and people don't like you know anyone to succeed. Uh, I mean, it's almost yeah. related to this. I mean, unfortunately, there yeah. are some folks that just they're never going to be happy for you no matter what you do. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like it's almost like the enemy of success. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and but is that a narcissist, you know, in, in part of the definition or I mean, is that somebody or attributes to a narcissism? You know, uh, well, syndrome? well, Hurricane, you, you just don't know. Um, uh, because, uh, look, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist and I'm supposed to be able to read people, okay? But when I, first get to, when I first get to meet somebody, whatever judgments or assumptions I made, they get torn down pretty quickly as you find out what's really going on with this person. Doctor, and we have another call. Okay, okay, good. All right, not bad, not bad. <laughs> Hold on. Hello, caller in the air. Hello? Ah, I think we lost the call. Hey, hello. Oh, they're calling back. Hello, caller, you're on the air. Welcome to iHealth Radio. Who's this? <laughs> yes, hi. <clears throat> this is James. I'm from Washington. Hi, James. Hi, how are you? You're live with, with Hurricane H and Dr. Heim. Uh, so uh, you have a question. Talk to us. Well, talk to the doctor. <laughs> yes, hi, doctor. How are you today? Well, thank you, James. Um, this is my first time ever calling in, so, you know, it's kind of nerve-wracking to ask a question. But, you know, I, I in my line of, you know, work, I come across people that are very aggressive and eager to hurt others without any yeah. remorse. Why yeah. is that? Okay. Uh, all right, so uh, that's a good question, James. We're basically asking why people can end up wanting to hurt each other and uh, to the point where we have to lock them up, right? Jail is what I call wall therapy. And some people need wall therapy. We need to keep them away from other people so that they don't hurt them. So how does this happen? Uh, look, I spent some time uh, speaking with people who are in uh, jails, but psychologists and psychiatrists who work with people in the judicial system and the correctional system tell me when you hear the stories of the childhoods that people have had, you tend to think, you know, it's no wonder that people end up on the path that they do. And so 
uh, there's this very complex interplay between adverse life experiences. And there's a huge study called the ACE study of what adverse childhood experiences and how that ends up in people having a very difficult adulthood, uh, all from not quite as successful all the way down to ending up in jail. But there's a complex interplay between that, the experiences people have, and the choices that people make as to how to react to the um, adverse experiences that they had. Does that make sense, James? Oh, it makes a lot of sense, but why do they have no remorse? Why do they do what they do and they, and they, they don't even feel guilty or bad? So when people have no remorse, then uh, psychiatrically speaking, we put them in a category of, let's say, antisocial personality disorder or even psychopathy, uh, because it is part of human nature to have what we call empathy from one person to the other. And that's mediated in the brain in the anterior cingulate cortex that we kind of feel each other's pain. But if you imagine that you're somebody who is for some reason driven to inflict pain on somebody else, it doesn't help if you feel that pain. So the way that I see it, and I'm not saying this is a science, this is my personal point of view, it becomes a defense mechanism to shut down any remorse and any pain that you feel towards other people. And this is what allows people to become serial cheaters, serial killers, or uh, serial offenders in some way. Uh, but it is a breakdown of what is natural in what I see uh, in human beings. Does that make sense, James? It makes a lot of sense, thank you. So it's a, so it's a kind of disorder that, that makes people do what they do and, and, and have no remorse or no empathy or any kind of sympathy, huh? Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually best to see it as a disorder because a disorder can be corrected. There is something that can be done about it. Whereas if it's just a state of being, this person is just a bad person, then there's nothing that you can do about it. And I don't believe that there are people who are just bad people. There would have been steps that uh, pushed them towards that direction, but there are also choices that they would have made to go in that direction. Uh, that's where the science is heading as far as those complex questions are concerned. Dr. Jaime, if I may. Well, I mean, interestingly speaking, I mean, because it's a disorder, you said, you're, we talked about, you know, treating people and, and getting under, you know, what causes the problem and eventually get them some sort of treatment uh, one way or the other. And, and eventually they can change uh, with, with, with the course of time and treatment. But then, but I think one of the part that, well, at least what I, I picked up also from, from uh, the call is that um, I work, and I've seen this actually, uh, you know, in, in the workplace. You would mention earlier bullying. You know, yeah, there yeah. are people that would do anything just to, to get to the next level. They'll step on yes. people and they, there's, there's no bad feelings. They'll, they'll hurt people. Yes. They, they'll, they'll even affect their livelihood. Yes, yes. And, and this gets the core of what James was saying. Uh, why would people hurt other people mm -hmm. without remorse? Um, but again, even uh, what you'll feel me doing is not making an us and them situation because one thing that we all learn about ourselves is that we all actually have the potential to hurt each other. Um, I, could, I could hurt the people around me by doing certain things or saying certain things, uh, but because we can be hurt ourselves, that stops us. You know what? It hurts to be hurt. I don't like it when people call me names, so I'm not going to go do people. It hurts when people put a, a knife into me, so I'm not going to do that to other people. 
And I know it's, it's almost comical, but that's actually a fundamental lesson that we don't like being hurt ourselves. And that actually curbs us hurting other people. But <laughs> no, you know, I'm laughing. Yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you why. Yeah. yeah, okay. But if it gets to the stage where somebody has been hurt so much in their childhood experiences that they make a decision that they don't care anymore, they're just out for vengeance, <clears throat> that's when we have to put them in what we used to call prisons, which we now call correctional centers, because we still have the hope that, you know what, we, we want you to get better. We don't want this to be you. Wow. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> That's all right, Hurricane. Well, I, I, uh, James, are you still with us? I am here. Thank you. That was very interesting to hear because you always question why people do things and, you know, you always question why things happen. And, yes. you know, when you're on the other receiving end of some of that stuff, it, yes. it makes you think, like you know, why me? Yes, that's James, true. James, if I may add, so so, but doctor, in this case, what could someone like James or any of us do to to help? I mean, in the case, the question before that, we talked about like being a supportive yeah. friend. Yeah. I mean, in this case, how do you kind of work around it? I mean, is there a way you can you can possibly yeah. contribute to to changing these folks? Uh, I, I don't yes. know. If you, Yes, but let, let's take let's take James's situation. So James has mm -hmm. sort of said, you know, when you're on the receiving end of something like this, you sort of say, "Why me?" Right? Mm -hmm. And James is absolutely right. And that that those two those two words, "Why me?" is something that I have to deal with a lot when I talk to people who have undergone personal trauma. So the first thing to do is to make a choice that I'm not here to hurt anybody else. Because when you've been hurt yourself, you will feel this anger and resentment well up to the point where you could lash out and hurt somebody else. But that takes a decision. So, uh, so what I uh, say to people who have been hurt a lot is for them to make a decision, well, I don't want to pass that on. They are already contributing to the happiness of all of humankind that way. And it's hard. <clears throat> it's hard to make that decision. But you can feel good about making that decision because uh, you are making a decision not to put somebody else in that situation, right? And that's before we start sort of saying, can I help somebody else who has been in this situation, which is a whole new kettle of fish. But I, I was recently looking up some studies on altruism. Uh, and uh, the question is, do we learn about altruism or are we born with altruism? What makes a good person good? And the answer seems to be that we are all born with the potential to be somewhere on the scale of really altruistic or selfish and even mean. And we have the potential, and depending on what society around us uh, values and uh, uh, depending on the choices we make, we will end up somewhere on that. But here's the thing about choices. This is what I love about choices. You can always choose to do something different right in this very moment. Wow. <laughs> James, are you still with us? Yeah. yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for that explanation. Because, you know, I always wonder, and, you know, and I'm like, you know, uh, I, I really am kind of shy. I don't, I'm really embarrassed to go talk to somebody. But, you know, living that life and, and always thinking, you know, why somebody do what they do and why, you know, sometimes yeah. we're at the you know butt end of it yeah excuse the pun you know it kind of makes you think you know again why yeah. me and it's always why me why do yeah. we have to go through this or you know why the kids why my siblings and or why my friends you know 
is, it comes like, is it us in the sense versus, is, you know, are they having just a bad day or they're having these, these disorders or, or was it makes you question, you know, is it us versus, you know, are they just, are we causing this? And so, you know, it's kind of awakening to understand that, you know, sometimes people um, do what they do and, you know, it could be a disorder and maybe hopefully they can get treatment. Yes, yes, that is true. That is true. But, but ultimately, James, you'll also find yourself butting up the whole, uh, against the whole question of suffering because suffering is part of life. In fact, in a sense, it's, it's what we're striving to work against so that we can actually survive and not only survive, but <clears throat> thrive and grow as people. And to, to bring less suffering into life uh, tends to be better. But science doesn't actually think in terms of what's good or bad. It just thinks in terms of what is. But as soon as you do something like medicine, you do think in terms of good and bad because health is good and sickness is bad. Um, uh, generosity is good and crime is bad. And so collectively, uh, it does help when we strive towards the good. And why anybody makes the decisions they do is a very complex issue. But James, thanks for coming out on the show and uh, having a question. Thank you, James. Well, thank you very much. Have a good night. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. I know. Wow, that was deep. <laughs> yes, it was very deep. Right. Uh, well, I think that that's a that's a question that I think anyone could probably relate to in one one way or the other in their life. They've met someone uh, in that same realm, especially in the workplace. I mean, I've experienced it, and uh, uh, I mean, again, in my role in the business, I'm I'm a lead, leader of of the division and stuff like that. But I always, uh, you know, try to remember when i wasn't <laughs> and and how i felt so i learned i learned that you know the concept that you know you want to do the right thing for others because you don't want that to be done to you as you said earlier yes yes in fact we can look at james's question because james basically asked why do people do bad things oh, yeah. uh, well we can actually ask the question why do people do good things uh i like that fact, uh why, why do people do good things sometimes at their own expense uh, and uh, humanity is full of people who will do good things even at the cost of their own lives. That is yep. really quite incredible. And the point that I want to make with this is we admire that. We admire the soldiers that will defend a country. We admire the people that will uh, run into a burning building to save people. We admire the Heroes. people who uh, will uh, go in to help somebody who is drowning or somebody who says, here, save this person before me. We admire all of that, which means that there is something in our spirit that strives towards that. And so uh, it just seems right, and that's not a scientific word, uh, to keep striving for the good and to keep alleviating suffering. Uh, that's, that's what I do as a doctor. Uh, that's what, in a way, we all do. We all try to make the world safer, more prosperous, and more peaceful. Uh, and yes, we can ask why there are some people that move against that, but on the whole, we all have the potential to move against that, but most of us, the vast majority of us, choose, no, I want to be on the side of good. And I, I, I like that it's that way, but there is no scientific answer as to why it is like that. Doctor, I, I have to believe, and I, and I think you, you, we had this potentially discussion before, what, where I feel that 
in this world, I mean, there's better, there's more good than bad. And I think the majority of people are inclined to do good than just they're, you know, uh, good citizens, they do the right thing, they're willing to help, you know, but but in disaster, sometimes you'll see a lot of that. And I, I've, I've witnessed it live, you know, and even in, in COVID, like in the beginning of COVID, you've seen a lot of, you know, I mean, the essential workers and and, and the uh, the frontline workers, I mean, they were out there in, in day in, day out, risking their lives and then, you know, risking even bringing the disease to their homes. You have that. I mean, and uh, it, it's, it's amazing, uh, but you're right. There's other people that, you know, few people, I would say, I mean, we hear crime, but, but when you compare crime to non-crime and to, to just normal, I mean, it's, it's limited. Uh, yes. Although any crime is, 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 is too, one too many. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. But <clears throat> the nice thing is over the last 50 years, the crime rates in the USA have come down. Oh, and yeah. as, as you say, in the COVID crisis, um, we have people who have given up their lives for the greater good. And uh, because we are in a crisis, most people are basically rallying around to sort of say, we got to get on top of this. There are big companies trying to find answers. There are health workers that are trying to put in systems so that we, we do the most good for the most amount of people. Uh, and somehow I believe that lies in the idea that we all want to go on living. And so the better that this world is, the more chance I have for living a better life and a longer life. So if I can do that for a whole lot of people, other people will benefit, but I'll benefit too. So you get to this idea that we're either going to survive together or we're all going to fry together, you know? So um, we may as well go for the good. Doctor, I know we're coming out at the end of the, the show right now. And, but, but really that, that's an excellent, an excellent way to, to, to look at it because we, we talk about team, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. as a society, we should operate as such. I mean, uh, you know, in crisis and not, I mean, we have to, to help each other. And I think it is designed to be that way. You know, we can't be all doing the same thing. We all do different things to contribute and, you know, we pay taxes, although people can disagree with that, you know, yeah. so for the common, you know, the common use, right? You know, for roads, yeah. for, for infrastructure, for healthcare, whatever the case may be, but that's just a general, you know, uh, generalization, but, but there's more to it, even in a personal level, whether you're in family, so, so for the most part, it works, but unfortunately, there's always, uh, you know, some, I guess, uh, tangent, <laughs> you know, or like some, some elements that, that do deviate from that particular mission or that, that, that same common goal. And, and it's just, it is what it is. Uh, but you, I mean, folks like you, I mean, are out, out literally day in, day out helping people. Uh, I mean, to the literal term, to, to change them to be better. And, and that's, that's something that is, uh, you know, uh, definitely something commendable. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, Hurricane, we're all kind of um, involved in that somehow. So uh, you're on the radio at the moment. And, the, and what you have set up is part of that same process. Mm. Whatever job James in Washington is doing is part of that process. If somebody uh, is at home providing for a family, they're part of the same process. Uh, the brain is not uh, designed just to survive. It's also there to thrive and to do better. So team human race wants to do better, which is why we're all got our part to do that. And if we can keep that idea of team human race, uh, then we can march into a future that, that looks better. Uh, we've got a lot of obstacles to get there, okay? I know it's complex, but they're the sort of challenges that we have and it's worth taking on those challenges. And Dr. Haim, you, you know, I, I, I always appreciate, you know, that you are 
um, always positive and, and, and you're, you're, you're striving and thriving <laughs> in, in the concept of, of making good, you know, and, and I think that's, that's uh, uh, just amazing. And uh, you deal with a lot of, cause you hear all kind of stuff, I'm sure. And, yeah, and, and, and that there's an impact, but, but, you know, to your point, there's a cost, uh, but, but we can all contribute to, to yeah. make a difference. And I think that's, that's really the bottom line uh, through shows, through helping direct, through, through volunteering, uh, yeah. you know, all the good stuff. I mean, and, and also learning how to deal with things, you know, which is important. So. Yeah. 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 We're all part of it. So. Doctor, you know, I, I hate, I hate, you know, when, when we, we end the show, cause I, you know, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't even know if we finished the last one, but I think we did, but, but, but certainly, you know, uh, we'll save those for the next one. And, uh, you know, so we look forward to, to the end of October, yeah. um, the last Friday of October. So we'll, we'll be on point and on the schedule for that. And uh, folks, uh, thank you for watching, for listening in and uh, live with Dr. Heim. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to send them to us. Uh, you'll see the post uh, to administration at iHealthRadioUSA.com. And or you can call the, the number on live when we are at the show, 848-482-8052. And uh, that will also give you access, just like James uh, had, you know, a nice conversation. So, so we look forward to that. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, see thanks. Next see you, Hurricane, and thanks to John and James for the questions, and I'll see you next October. Thank you, Doctor. Bye now. Right. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Take Thanks. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.